Welcome to the Data Career Podcast. Here's your host, Avery Smith. Welcome back to the Data Career Podcast, everyone. I'm so excited that you're here. We have an awesome episode for you up ahead. It's my interview with Kyle Pastor, aka Data Stuff Plus on Instagram. Go ahead and follow him there. The link is in the show notes. Awesome account to follow. Tons of really cool data visualizations. Uh, and other data related posts. I love following data stuff plus so definitely follow them um, on Instagram and we also have their medium down below in the link today. We, we had an interview with Kyle uh, this last week. It was totally awesome. We talked a lot about data science projects, why to do them, why they're fun, um, how Kyle has found better ways to do them over time. Um, you could definitely check out some of the projects that we talk about. They're listed, like I said, in that medium down below. So this is an awesome interview. It's, Kyle's one of my b- best data friends out there on the social media world. Um, so it was super fun to spend time and talk to him. So I'm about to get into the interview. But one thing I do want to say before we get started is I want you guys to download my data science roadmap if you have not already downloaded it. Um, I have the link down below in the show notes. It's totally free. It's a 33-page, can't talk this morning, 33-page PDF. I think you guys are really going to like it. The other thing is this podcast is brought to you, of course, by Data Career Jumpstart, and we have an awesome, awesome, awesome opportunity coming up. I think, let me check the calendar here. I think it is on February, yes, February 7th. February 7th, we're going to be starting another round of 21 Days to Data. The first cohort, the January cohort, is about to end. Maybe you've seen the hashtag on LinkedIn, 21 Days to Data. Um, It's been an awesome cohort, an awesome course, awesome challenge. People are really stepping up to the plate and knocking it out of the park. And I want you guys to do the same. So definitely check that out. I have the link to that down below in the show notes as well. For you guys to look at it's fifty dollars and it is 10 hours of data science content plus challenges so it is a lot of fun and you'll see start seeing results pretty quickly so we'll go ahead and hop into the podcast now with kyle pastor go ahead and follow him on medium and instagram in the show notes down below and as always thank you so much for listening to data career podcast one last thing before we get into the show and that is i don't know what happened to my audio it is not my best audio, guys. We recorded this on Instagram. I don't know if it was my AirPods. I don't know if it was, I don't know what the problem was, but I apologize for the uh, the poor audio. But Kyle's audio is crystal clear, so just don't listen to me. Listen to him. All right, enjoy the podcast. I'm excited to have you, Kyle. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure. Okay, for those who don't know, Kyle and I have been friends on Instagram for like, man, when did you start Two? your account? Oh, like I started like four years ago, but back then it was like a really like embarrassing blog of me like programming at like six in the morning in like fast motion. And then I only started getting back into like two, two years ago, like maybe just before the pandemic hit. Yeah, yeah I think, I think you're right. I think I started at the beginning of 2019, no, beginning of 2020. So wait, no, what year? Yeah, yeah, beginning of 2020. Yeah, that's been two years. Um, So anyway, stoked to have you. We'll do do a little intro here. So for those who don't know, welcome back to the Data Career Podcast. We are doing a live recording here with with Kyle Pastor and who is Data Stuff Plus. Super excited to have him on the program. Thank you guys for, for tuning in. Um, for those who don't know Kyle, you definitely should know Kyle. So go ahead and uh, I'll have a link to his Medium, his Instagram down below. So go check him out. But Kyle, this is a little bio for Kyle right here. <laughs> he is first uh, and foremost a guy that doesn't like being bored. And I can agree with that. <laughs> he enjoys exploring cool new ideas and technology and writing and teaching about whoever wants to listen. He, wa- he went to McMaster University in Hamilton because we got to say, you are, you are Canadian, correct? I am Canadian, yeah. I'm in like the Toronto area, so there you go. There you go. Hey. And got his, got, yeah, I was going to say, nice, ad- nice adding the A. Got to do it. Got to do it. <laughs> got his master's, then realized he needed to get another job, so he got another master's in quantitative finance from Waterloo, so double master's here. Um, from there, he started to work at a big Canadian bank as a full-stack developer and quant. And on the side, Kyle has a bunch of projects, a bunch of projects, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk about those today. Um, from a Raspberry Pi, 
based escape room in a box. I don't think I realized that. Um, we'll have to talk about that. To it's called the box. It's pretty great. So, oh my gosh. <laughs> I literally, I could go. We'll get into that later. Yeah, uh, yeah we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Uh, he also has a Medium account, which you'll find the link down below for this podcast, um, where he talks about code, tech, talks about all his cool stories. He has a very patient wife and two small girls, one that is just 16 months old. So, uh, mm-hmm. dad, Kyle, and, and therefore <laughs> tired all the time. So, Kyle, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for having me. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. You do so many cool things, and uh, I'm so excited to you know, have you be telling your story on, on this platform because... You know, you have so many cool projects and we'll, we'll talk about all those projects, but they're so freaking interesting. Um, <laughs> I first want to get back into your, your just like how you, how you got to data in the first place, right? Um, mm-hmm. You started start studying physics, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was doing physics for like all undergrad and like my master's program as well. Yeah. Okay. Why, why mm-hmm. physics? Oh, man, I just like... I was like really into it as a kid. Like I just like like the idea of physics. It was but because it's hard. I was like I really want to do it because it's impressive. That's how it started off, <laughs> and then like in the end, it's like applicable to a bunch of stuff. So it was a good call because like you can apply it like in so many different places. And primarily, like the one thing I got into was like coding pretty early on. So like when I was in high school, I started looking at like Linux and like you know just like basic web stuff and like Flash development and all this stuff. Um, so I got really into it, and then. Basically, from there, I just applied it in physics, and then I took a bunch of, like, computing courses during, like, master's and, like, undergrad and stuff. And then, yeah, and then I got to, like, my, I did, like, a computational physics master's, which was, like, very cool. But, like, I was like, okay, what do I do now? So, either I can go for a PhD, which I was, like, really into academia for a while until, like, the end of my master's. I was like, "Mm, maybe not that. But then all the guys I knew that, like, graduated, they're going, like, into finance and stuff. So... I was talking to them and they seemed very happy and they had like nice clothes. I was like, this seems cool. So like after they, I've had a few chats with them, they convinced me to like to apply to this like second like master's program. And then, yeah, they're like the rest is history. Like it was a lot of like co-op and then some finance courses here and there, but mostly like the coding, like brought it home. And then like from the coding, like in order to do anything cool, you need data. Right. So that's sort of where <laughs> that, that came from. <laughs> that might be a little subjective because you could have gone and been a, like a, like a software developer. Right. I mean, I yeah, mean, do that, yeah. I guess, too, kind of, right? Yeah, that's kind of like what I do now. But like, yeah, you can like use algorithms and stuff. But like, you're generally always going to need like some form of data as like input and then to test against and things like that. So like, I guess that's like the data connection. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, that's so interesting. I guess, I guess in your your secondary, well, I guess as an undergrad, what languages were you using? Like, how, like, what'd you know? Oh, I was like a keener. So I did like C++, which was like a really bad idea because like, it was like, I always say it's like one of the more challenging ones because there's lots of like details about like garbage collection and memory and all this stuff, but like it was hard. So I was like, oh, I got to like do this because it's like, because it's hard. Um, And then I did like a little C sharp, the classic like HTML stuff. Um, And then I had to do Fortran 90, which was like really old school, (laughs) but like, so I tell like my older colleagues and they're like, whoa, you'd run Fortran 90. That's crazy. I'm like, yeah, had to do it. Um, But like, and then I started dipping into Python like later on. And then Python's like, obviously, that's the way to go for me. But I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm also team Python. But y- you were using C++ in your physics undergrad? <sighs> yeah, like to build like all the like for my dissertation, not my dissertation, like my thesis and stuff. And like we had like undergraduate thesis and all this. So like, I was like into C++. And then I did like a co-op in undergrad. So I worked for the Canadian Department of Defense for like eight months. So I moved mm-hmm. over like across the country. I went to the military base and stuff and started like, working wow. with them and like coding stuff and like yeah all their software was c plus plus too so that's kind of like why i got that role and then yeah it's that's but it was like yeah it's difficult and it's not it's good for building i guess like fast lower level software but like to just do fun stuff it's not really where you want to go <laughs> at least yeah, i think so kind of a pain in the butt to to get mm-hmm. more fun um but that's that's so interesting because when i think of like a physics undergrad i think less about learning c plus plus and more like you take like the ball on this side and the ball on this side and clink them together. Or like you do like kinetic energy and potential energy. I mean, that was physics one, I guess. And then at least yeah. in the US. And then physics two, this is as far as I got in physics, was, you know, you cover uh, like electricity and magnetism and currents and stuff like that. And then, and then mm-hmm. maybe like you take like a quantum class. That's how I, that's how I see physics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you were actually like coding a decent amount. 
Yeah, like there's some coding stuff. So like, when you talk about quantum physics stuff, right? What it gets into is yeah. like, you can't, so problems that can't be solved, like just by like writing the math out sometimes. So you have to like use like numerical techniques to like solve problems. And then you have to like use like code. Oh yeah, like MATLAB was another big one that he used, right? So in order to like solve, like one. this is getting too, getting too deep into it, but like in order, in order to solve like certain like differential equations and like all this other stuff, you have to use code at some point. So like it, it does just necessarily become like something you need to do. And like, once you get like, yeah, in the master's program, it's like, it's, you don't find many people doing pure like theory where it's just like, you know, pen paper, just writing stuff down. It almost always comes down to like, you have to do some form of calculation or something, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's yeah. actually interesting. But we did clink balls together. together. That was good. We did the clink it, so it's good. <laughs> okay, so you can, you still know how to do that? Just go. Yeah, yeah. It takes practice, but I got there. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm actually thinking about it. You're the, you're the second. I probably interviewed, I don't know. We're, I think this will be episode 35 or 36. Oh, wow. Um, and I've probably interviewed probably like half those are interviews. So let's say 15 people. And you're actually mm -hmm. the second physics major. And, and Emily Vu was the first one. Um, and she's also, I guess she's a product manager, but also gone to analytics. So you, mm -hmm. you physics people, I've always known you guys are smart, but it turns out you can transition pretty easily to, you know, the data field or the tech field pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. And like, especially for finance too, like a lot of the times they do look at like physics background. Um, so yeah, it was like, it was pretty good, easy to, easy to find a job, I guess. Cause like people hiring are looking for that kind of thing. And then, yeah, like, since you have, like, physics is like more of like a general knowledge of things, I guess, is the way I'll put it. And then you can apply the, the lessons to like different pieces, right? So you can solve, you learn how to solve problems primarily in like with the physics undergrad. So that becomes like valuable later, right? You don't have like as specific a skill set, but you have a pretty like solid general one. Yeah. And I mean, I think at the end of the day, that's all we really get from college in most places is you learn how to learn and then you learn how to do your job actually when, when you're at the job. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, so that makes sense. So tell me a little bit more about what you do now. You work for a bank, is that correct? Yeah. So I work for, it's called Scotia Bank. It's like a, one of the big, there's like five huge banks in Canada. And it's one of the like top five or whatever. Um, and yeah, like I do uh, a lot of like, it's mostly programming in MATLAB and Python. So what we do is like, it's like, oh man, every time I explain this, it's like, it's very boring, I guess. Cause like finance stuff is going to be boring. We simulate stuff, which is cool. So we okay. simulate what, what if the markets go crazy? And like, what if like, like interest rates change and what happens if people start pulling their money out of banks and all that stuff. Right. So like we try to forecast what happens if, if that happens and see like if we're in trouble or not, or how much money we'll gain or lose and all this kind of stuff. Right. And then to like support that, we like obviously have to build tools. So we build the simulation software, but also have to like, it's like, cool, you have simulation software, but like, what do you do with it? So we help to build, like I do web-based tools basically. So we build like a full stack. So we have like the data and then we have an API that calls the methods that we build. And then we have like a front, like you use react JS. So just like a web interface. So people like the traders or like management can like go into a website, just click around, run like a simulation and see like what the impact is. So that's like oh, how it all ties in, right? That's that's really cool. So you're you're basically creating you know web apps for your organization for non coders, non data scientists, non you know even tech people to be mm -hmm. able to click and drag and and you know click buttons to run complex simulations and see what the end result would be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because like a lot of the people like they're more like there's not as many coders in our department. I guess like we're the main like team that like does the the coding analytics stuff. But like a lot of people know exactly what they need from the software. So being able to like build an interface where they can either upload files that have like, for example, like what are the markets going to do in the next like three years? Or they can say, I want to tweak how like certain parameters of the model and just run it. Like that's like super important because otherwise we have to do it and I don't want to do that. So the more like I make it easier for them, the less like work I have to do. So it's always good. That's true. That's true. So this, this is interesting because when I was at Exxon, we, 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 we did something pretty similar where you're trying to see if prices change, you know, what's your margins and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. One issue we ran into was simulations are not always easy computational tasks. Mm -hmm. And specifically when you like are, like I say, you're like a CEO or I don't know, a trader or something like that. And you want to tweak, you know, a couple parameters and then you want to see the result. It, it could take like an hour or two hours oh, yeah. to come through. Does, does that, do you guys solve that? Or you just have to say, Hey, you gotta wait. 
So like it depends. So in specific cases, it's like you're kind of screwed. You just have to like rerun effectively. But we have we do this nice little thing we I call like the basis function. So like I don't know like like you know like PCA type stuff. Like if yeah, you can sort of say like well if if one dollar is equal to if if you put one dollar in you get two dollars out. If you put two dollars in you might you get four dollars out. Right. So like gotcha. it's sort of like you can scale it up. So one thing we do is like we can run like let's say like the one dollar version for like I don't know like one A, one B, one C for like one dollar. And they we can say what is the impact of changing each one. And the whole idea is that like that is like our basis. So you can use like that to like try to find another thing. So you can say if um A goes up by one and B goes up by two, instead of having to re-simulate that, you can just say, well, I know how to just like calculate it right away because I know it just like scales with each other, right? So it's gotcha. just like you're scaling stuff together. So like it it takes a lot of like pre-processing because you have to run like basically every possible combination for like the basis. But then once you have it, you don't have to calculate anything because you have everything ready to go. You just have to sort of like multiply stuff together and you get like the new results. And as long as you've tested it and it's like legit, then people are pretty happy, even if it's like a little bit inaccurate. So yeah, yeah. so there's a lot of that going down. That's, that's really interesting because we did, we did something pretty similar at Exxon where, yeah, you basically can, can make some approximations to, which is really interesting because if you think about it, this sometimes, you know, you go on to Kaggle, we'll talk more about Kaggle a little yeah. bit, but you go into Kaggle and people are so concerned about the extra 1% accuracy in their machine learning model. And they're like, look, like your model was 90% and mine's 91. And it's like, okay, great. <laughs> that 1% actually doesn't matter. In fact, in, mm -hmm. your, in your case, it's more important to give them a quick answer than the most accurate answer. Yeah, exactly. Because like in a real real setting, like if the number's off by like, oh no, like it's off by like a thousand dollars or something like that on like a billion dollars, nobody's gonna care. If it's off by a million dollars over a billion dollars, no one's gonna care either. But like if it takes an extra day, then like it's not gonna be worth it because whoever the person is is just gonna not want your results anymore because either someone else gave them a hand calc, which is like close enough and they're happy, or they just probably moved on at that point. So like yeah, like the accuracy, yeah, like you can't get too into the weeds about how accurate things are as long as like you're in the ballpark usually. So. Yeah. That's, that's so interesting. I, I just think that's fascinating. They don't teach you that really. In, in no, things. no. It's like, it has to be so right. I'm like, no, it doesn't at all. Just like get it close <laughs> enough. Yeah, exactly. So, so interesting. Okay. So that's a little bit about what you do now, a little bit how you got into data. Let's talk mm -hmm. a little bit about your Instagram. So you're at data stuff plus, mm -hmm. um, Tell, tell, for those who don't know, we have, you know, 20 people watching live. We have a lot of people listening on the podcast. For those who don't know and aren't familiar with Data Stuff Plus, describe Data Stuff Plus. Data Stuff Plus is a visual experience, first and foremost. Now, basically, it's like, I, it started off as a blog, like a video blog kind of thing for me to sort of make myself accountable to, like, do projects. Because, like, one thing I think is pretty shared with everyone I have a lot of ideas and usually I start off on them and it's like, oh, like this, I'm so into like this specific idea. And then one week later, I'm like, wait a minute, what about this other idea? That's really cool. And then the first idea is now dead in the water. So I never do it again, which is cool, which I'll just talk about later. Um, but the idea was like, well, if I'm committing myself to sort of doing this like little Instagram account where I just like sort of film myself in like stop motion, basically coding, um, then maybe like it'll keep me going, right? It's like when you have like a gym buddy or whatever. And then, like, I thought back all the times I would watch random guys coding in their basement, and I'm like, I don't watch that at all, so why would anyone else? So I basically dropped the account for a while, and then I basically reprised it, and I think it was because I was seeing, like, lots of, like, really interesting graphics on, like, various just, like, other Instagram accounts. I was like, these are, like, really cool. Like, for example, 538, um, they have some really good things. Bloomberg has, like, some really cool uh, statistics as well. And I was, like, kind of interested, like, I like looking at these, which means other people like looking at these. And also it was like, how do you make these things? Like, how do you make them look so good? So I think the first thing I was trying to do was um, build some graphics that were actually like, actually look decent. So I actually messaged, I think the people like running the Instagram account for 538 asking like what they use. And then I realized it's like, oh, you basically run, make a basic chart and then you edit everything in like Photoshop basically. <laughs> so then once I started doing that, I started like, you know, making some small like plots, like it's just like sort of Google trend plots of like, when did D&D get popular again? The answer is always, but anyways. Um, and then like the rise of VR and like our Canadians giving their dogs CBD and marijuana and stuff, like all that kind of like interesting stuff. Um, and then it's like, it was good. 
and I liked it. Um, but obviously it's like a lot of work to do that all the time. Cause like it does take effort. And so then, much effort. A lot of effort. And like, I, I was like, it was a like, cool or whatever, but I didn't have the time obviously to like do it all the time, like every day or anything. And one thing I learned is like, if you want to grow followers, you basically have to post once or twice a day effectively. It's like a big, like once I start doing that, like things start really growing. Um, and then I was like, wait, man, I can just repost other people's stuff and it's a lot easier. But as long as I attribute it and make sure everything's cool, like, um, I always try to make sure that like, if I post something, um, if they're like a Bloomberg or whatever, I just repost it and like give credit. But if they're smaller, sometimes I'll reach out and make sure that, like they're cool with me, like reposting their stuff. And then now you have like a sort of a depth of content. And I sort of started like thinking about Instagram as like a mobile game where all you sort of do is you sort of have to find these images, post them, and then you reward it with followers and validation to your person as a person. So, you know, that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And then from then, like, honestly, like once, like, yeah, like to grow the account, I just like followed people and they followed me back and I would chat with people and like the whole adage of like, oh, you have to really engage with your followers is like pretty true, especially at the beginning where like you have to really sort of chat, comment, like do some DMs, things like that. And then I think it posted this, um, thing from like either Indian pixels or some other, like, I think it was Indian pixels, this one image, I think of like the size of statues and I don't know why, but it blew up in India. Like it got like huge and I got like 10,000 followers from like that one thing. And then from that point on, like once, once I got to that level, like every day you just start getting like, as long as you're posting every day, you just keep getting more and more followers type thing. But now it's just sort of like a fun little like side project that, you know, keep people informed, make sure things look good. It's great. Yeah, it's, I know, I really enjoy it. Basically, you can log on to Data Stuff Plus and you'll see a different image, a different data visualization, you know, every day. And you can get a feel and get inspired and mm -hmm. see how other people create and how they display stuff. So yeah. I think it's really fun. And, and for those listening who want to grow a social media account, I hope you were taking notes. Um, I think <laughs> Kyle, Kyle and I, maybe close when we started two years ago, had pretty close to the same number of followers. And uh, obviously Kyle's at 70K and I'm like at 2K. So listen to Kyle, watch what Kyle does. And then that's how you grow. Yeah. Uh, the difference is like, you have like, quote unquote, like real content. It's easy to I repost mean, stuff, right? So like, yeah. No, but I think that is something that I think that content creators who are successful, I think, I think a lot of the times they're more curators than they are mm -hmm. actual cre creators because creating takes so much effort. Um, yeah. So, especially in data. Gosh, you want to build oh, yeah. a data visualization? You have to find the data, clean the data, make the data visualization, and then, like you said, like if you want to make it look really good, clean it up in Photoshop. Yeah, and then also like if you don't want people to be angry, the data has to be like it has to make sense and look good under another layer. So like also like, for the Instagram account, if you want to like look at nice images, you can look at it. But if you want to get mad, you could look at the comments section usually because there's That's usually true. a lot of like there's a lot of vitriol in there, which is great. You know, lots of people engaged, but That's true. But the, yeah. The, People love to troll in, in, in Oh my comments. goodness. Oh, it's wonderful. I get the, like I get DM, troll DMs and like, ah, they're just so good. Like, I love it. Like I just, <laughs> I just, yeah, it's pretty great. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, that's, that's good. Um, I, I guess out of, you know, um, all that stuff that you've been doing, you've been posting, um, is there any visualization like a chart or a graph or a specific visualization that you like the most that really sticks out to you? That's a good one, actually. The most like recent one was really cool is um, I think it was a Bloomberg opinion thing I posted a few days ago and it's showing like sort of cases and the expected case like volatility. So you have sort of this like line and you have like a band around the line, but the way they did is because cases are going up and it's obviously based on like the time of year, like dates, they made it so like in polar coordinates, so, like to start off in the oh. middle and it starts like, like a spiral and like I've never seen I mean, it only works out because cases are rising. So once case starts to drop, it's going to look messy. But I haven't never seen like a banded like chart in the same way on a polar axis, which is like really neat. So like when I posted that, I was posting it mostly for that one actual like uh, image. Um, so that was pretty cool. I think generally like the ones that look really good are like the chloroplast maps. Like, so if you look at here's like the most, like all the like highlighting the counties that have the best like partying or whatever. And you'll see like a really colorful map that like, looks visually cool and a lot of people like respond to it. Right. Which yeah, the, the information content might not be as useful sometimes, but like visually it usually looks really cool. So I like those ones a lot. And uh, yeah, like those are the, like the best, I think like the pretty so, neat. I think, I think two things are, I think both things you said are actually pretty interesting because 
Um, I know the graph you're talking about. I'll put it in the show notes for those who are listening or watching on YouTube um, so you guys can look at it. Um, but actually someone posted about it on LinkedIn. I think it was on LinkedIn and said, this is the worst graph I've ever seen. And I didn't really look at it. I mean, I saw that it was COVID and I saw that it was, you know, a spiral, you know, basically almost like a spiral line chart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I didn't really look at it that closely. Um, and I thought, okay, well, why didn't they just show a line chart? But you're right. It's like they were trying to show seasonality within the COVID t- time frame because December, mm-hmm. January, you know, February, March, or not March, maybe, but like the winter time in the United States mm-hmm. or I guess North America is when we've had a lot of COVID cases. So they were trying to show seasonality with the long-term effects too, like the yeah. trends, I guess is what that's called. Yeah, so yeah. that's the first thing is I, I think I saw someone call it the worst visualization I've ever seen. And now I understand it now that you, you actually mentioned it. So that's, that's the first thing. <laughs> um, and then the second thing, the chloroplast, I can never say that word. I know, same. Um, which is basically a colored map um, for those who, have yeah, yeah. who haven't seen that before. Um, those are so relatable. You can go to like, oh, that's my state. That's how. Oh, that's so true. So yeah, I think I think those are really relatable. Yeah, and people yeah. really enjoy those. So I agree with you. Um, okay, let's let's transition a little bit here to to your projects. So like you said, you you know you started your account to you hold yourself accountable to doing some projects. You have a lot of really fun medium. Definitely check that out in the show notes um, below when you're listening. Um, you've done a lot of data projects. You've done a cool one about showing like the impact of global warming kind of, right? And like how much percent of a, uh, you know, city would be underwater if like- Oh, that one, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's one. You've done one on hockey that was really cool of like making hockey- um, like shot heat maps and goal heat maps, things like that, yeah. Yeah, they're almost like sports cards though. Like they're like specific- yeah. They're really cool. I really like those. Got to make those NFTs or something. It'll be good. <laughs> yeah, that, is, that go. is true. That's yeah. that's how we make our millions, man, right there. Yeah. Um, and you've, you've also made a lot of other maps. So do you have a, a – first off, I guess, why are you making these projects? Um, mostly it's because, like, like, I find a data set that, or an API that's, like, kind of interesting. And I'm like, what would be cool? So, for example, the hockey one, right? Like, a lot of my friends are into hockey. And, like, honestly, like, I don't watch too many sports. I'm trying, though. So it's almost like an attempt for me to, like – under get into sports using the data and i'll tell you right now it did fail but the graphic <laughs> looks cool so yeah like the nhl has this um like open api so it's not like promoter or anything but if you go to like the nhl.com and you look for how they pull their data so i actually wrote an article about like uh, web scraping like a few days ago and one of the main things is like you can scrape for data on a website but if you look at the like if you inspect into the website you look at sort of the you can see like what network polls it's doing you can actually see like oh there's something it's referring to called like api.nhl.ca or whatever.com. And if you look at that, the question is like, well, what does it do? It's providing all the data to the website, that, like the NHL website, right? With all the player stats and all the stuff. And like you have game summaries, like, oh, like so-and-so scored a goal at this time from this point on the ice, right? So you start exploring it. And I was like, this is really neat because it actually has like, I didn't think they ever had this, but for every shot, and every um, goal and every like uh, block and hit and stuff like that in the NHL for every game, they have a time stamped, like a game time stamp and the location. So you can say at this time of the game, uh, this player took a shot from this location and they scored or they missed or they got like blocked or something like that. Right. And I was like, it's such like, a rich data set. And I have not seen, like I've seen stuff for soccer that like looks at sort of where player positions are. I was like, this is like very cool. So I started playing with the data set and then I guess the difference is like when you look at the data, it's like kind of messy because it's like a lot of like dots everywhere, right? And like it's not super useful because unless you make sort of a heat map of some sort, um, it doesn't really give you like useful information. You see like basically just a bunch of random dots. And then I was like, oh, like the standard thing you do if you have a bunch of samples is you can bin them into like discrete bins and you sort of say, well, there's more shots in this location versus this location. And then you get an idea of like like what player is shooting from where, where are they succeeding, how often do they score goals, things like that. And then I was like, oh, what would be look even cooler is a hex bin, which I couldn't find like as a part, uh, standard like part of like, I don't know, like a package really, right? Easily at least. So the ne- the main thing I want to do was like build a like set of code in Python using like a package like called matplotlib, which is like sort of a, you can do a lot of things. You can like draw like lines in it. So it's kind of like primitive, but I, like built a little thing that sort of like makes like a hex plot. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Now what can I do with it? So like, I kind of like build like little tools that I can use later to like do other like 
data projects, right? So this is like one of them is the hex plotting. Um, so yeah, I just applied it to like all these shots and then I was like, this is like pretty neat. Then like, what, what's missing here? I'm like, oh, there's no rink. So there's no context for where the shots are. So I went to Photoshop, built like a little rink, uh, then copied and pasted the image on that and then add the like player tokens and stuff. So it was like a fun little project. Um, yeah, so like that was like, like I guess I the whole thing is like either I want to try a new graphic, I want to try a new set of data to see what I can do with it, or I want to build like a simple tool that I feel like missing in like the ecosystem usually, and that's where everything gets driven. I think that's that's so cool, and uh, it's it's so interesting that that NHL data is just like open source because, mm -hmm. um, I mean you can you can kind of, it's hard to get that that data for other sports. Um, yeah, and I'm not I, I think it was probably hard to get the data. For the, for the NHL as well. It wasn't paywalled, at least. Like, they didn't have yeah, to sign yeah. up for, like, a key and all this stuff, which is great. Yeah, when I – and I don't know if I did this the right, but I did a similar project for basketball, and I had to I had to web scrape ESPN. Um, and you have to be – yeah, you have to, like, set a, a sleep timer for, like, five seconds between mm -hmm. <laughs> web scrapes because you don't want to get uh, caught for being a yeah. robot because um, you're not a robot, quote-unquote. Exactly. Uh, I'm a human. So, yeah. I think I think that's awesome, and I'm I'm just scrolling through your medium right now, and you have you have uh, so much so much so many cool projects, um, so many cool projects. One thing I want to talk about though um, mm -hmm. is you actually kind of mentioned it right there was you you had this idea you want okay you want to plot you know hockey shots, and you're like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna bin them instead of just having them be a scatter, so I'm gonna hex bin because hex bin's rad. Um, the one That's thing right. you said was, oh, but this could be useful for other projects. And I want, I want to pause there for a moment because that is what makes Kyle awesome. And it is what makes me very not awesome is, is that thought process of, oh, you know what? I might do this in the future. So let's make clean structured code that's reusable and modular and could be used in the future. So what other tricks have you learned that makes like a good project and also tricks that you've learned to keep your project project going because you know mm -hmm. you work full-time so you might work on a project for you know a saturday or whatever and then you come back three saturdays later and how do you how do you keep it fresh yeah hello dinisha Psa? Psa? hey anyways uh yeah for the podcast someone just said hi in the chat um yeah so like Earlier when I was doing stuff, I would always like write a bunch of code and then I would have my computer and then like, honestly, I would just get like distracted with something else. Either there's like another project like, or a cool idea or like I'll start reading a book randomly for the first time forever and just like totally just forget about what I was doing. And then like a month later, I'm like, oh yeah, I had that like really cool project going on. Like I should get back into it. And then like, I literally would go on my computer and would not be able to find any of the files I had because I like named them weirdly. And like, I don't remember making like project WT5. I'm like, what does that even mean? Right? So one thing I started doing is I always assume that I'm going to get distracted later and I'm going to end up just like totally forgetting about what I'm doing, but also assume that I'll get into it again later. Like there's some sort of reciprocity. So like assuming I'll forget something and then in a month from now, I want to do it again and basically build slower and more thoughtfully at the beginning. So, you know, so I can actually go back and look at the project and be able to pick up right where I left off. Right. So like the first thing I started doing was using GitHub. So for you, those that don't know, GitHub is like, it's called like a code repository. And the idea is that I write code on my computer and then I commit it to this repository, which is like online. And it keeps track of every change in every file that's ever been done. So it's sort of like saving, right? But um, you can go at any point, you can sort of pull it back from the website and then continue working on it, which is one thing. Cause then you can, instead of say your computer dies or like you switch up, um, I don't know, like, I'm using Linux and I go back to Windows, so on and so forth. You can just always pull your code back and then you can continue where you left off, which is a good thing. So that's like the main thing. So you always know where your code is, which is surprisingly difficult to know after like a month. Um, and then another thing is like, I would always try to build like a lot really fast. And then I would get back to it and have no idea what I was doing because like there's so much spaghetti code that like I have no comments. I have no idea what's going on. So I started trying to document things a lot more. So even like for the example, the Medium account, like a lot of these some of these articles are specifically documentation for me to go back to. So if I ever want to do something like this again, instead of having to like rip through my own code and look at it, I actually have like a nicely formatted step-by-step -step how to of like how to get roughly to where I was. So doing things like that, it makes it so like you're building stuff really slow. So to be like, it might not be as like sexy because you don't get as much done. You don't get a final result as easy, but thinking long-term you come back a month later 
and you can actually say, oh, I know exactly what I was working on because I left myself notes. I can look at this mini article I made to like get back into the idea of like what I was trying to look at with it. And then I know where my code is. So now I can actually go and continue my project without like smashing my head against the wall type thing, right? So like, yeah, as long as you're always building stuff, assuming you're going to drop it within a week and have to come back to it a month later, then it actually makes it so I'll finish the project maybe one day in the future instead of just like, you know, having a big laundry list of things that thought I thought were cool and then they never happened. Yeah, that's that's so awesome. I think, um, you know, posting the medium, it's, there's so many, it, there's so many good reasons to be posting projects to medium. Like you said, one, it forces you to write cleanly and like coherently um, your code and I guess the, the, the mm -hmm. quote unquote value of that you're bringing and the process. Yeah. Um, two, it's like a great resource for you to look back on in the future um, and be like, okay, that's how I did that. Three, mm -hmm. it, like, it's a great portfolio. It's a great place to host a portfolio, to send recruiters, to send employers. Hey, look at all these interesting projects that I've worked on. Mm -hmm. And and four, um, you get paid. You can get paid on Medium. And mm -hmm. you don't have to sell anything. You just have to post on Medium and you'll get a little a little, uh, little chunk in the mail. Yeah, yeah. Well, in, in the PayPal or whatever. I don't, I don't mean to brag, but I make literally maybe tens of dollars a month. So it's kind of a big deal. Right. So just keep that in mind, it, but it is cool. Like another thing is like, a, like you mentioned all the good things about it. Another thing is that also other people are going to like, people are thankful when you make something and make it coherent, oh, yeah. like and a big, like one of the, like, this is like random, but like one of my biggest articles that has the most views is like how to deploy a flask API on windows. And it's such a generic thing that like everyone's looking for it, but it's such a pain to do. And then I'm like, I found a way to do it because I had to sort of figure out how, how to do it for work and like all this other stuff. And like, I hope no one ever, no one else has to do this at all again because it's so annoying. So I wrote an article about it, right? And it actually like people come, uh, like message me like, oh, like this is making my life so much easier. Like this is something that I always kind of, like have a problem with. So it feels good. And also there's like, if you're developing a project that like, say you're developing like your, my own, like, I don't know, like the Hexbin project or whatever. Um, it's also like a nice way to, have something out there that you can always point to and say, oh, I made this, right? Because usually when you make code, um, it sits in a repository somewhere. It's all, say it's like you make the best code in the world and it produces an image, right? Um, and it's like a really cool image. You post it once and it's good to go. Like no one's ever going to find that code again. And the value of actually like building something at that level, even if it's like the most well-engineered thing, it's just gone because it's a ghost. Like no one uses it. It's just, it exists on a repository somewhere, but having an article that references it makes it so it's actually like, accessible and attainable by other people. So it makes it less lonely, I guess, to code projects in a weird way. You're, you're so right. Um, I think I like, sometimes I'll do like whole project tutorials from a medium article. Right. And like, it teaches me so much when I get stuck coding, you know, you either are using stack overflow or you're probably using a medium article. So yep. yeah. Thank you for, for writing the flask one. Actually, ironically, right before this, this call, um, uh, I help, I do, I, I'm like a TA basically for an MIT data engineering bootcamp. And I was literally just doing Flask application deployment. Oh, so, baby. Uh, yeah, might, there need you go. Check, might need to check that, uh, that Medium article right there. I, I think there you go. Useful. Uh, the, answer, the answer is use Linux. That's basically what the answer is. Don't use oh, Windows. Okay. Well, well, I'm on if, you, if you can, if you can, yeah. Oh, well, you'll get there. That's good. Yeah. Um, there are ways. So, one one thing I did want to mention is, um, I used to like when I was younger. I used to be like, how do we like move forward as a society? Like, do, like how do we like, you know, all of a sudden it's you know twenty twenty two, I guess, and we're like landing rockets back from space back on Earth. Like, mm -hmm, what the heck? Mm -hmm. Like, how did we get here? And I, I think I think one thing that's finally clicked is is like, is Elon Musk a genius? And the answer is probably yes. But but like he's only as good as he is today because someone documented their work you know three years ago and that person before was building on someone who built 10 years ago yeah right and it's like we we, we just constantly are adding like one percent increments on top of each other i think that's especially true with code like everything's just stacked on top of each other so much that mm -hmm. like it makes it easier to innovate like i don't have to if i want to make for instance 
you know, a new data visualization library, I don't have to like start an assembly language with the yeah, exactly. ones and, and build up from the scratch. I can build on the other people before me. So you're, you're adding to society. So, so thank you. Oh, for your contributions. You're well, society's you're welcome. Give me a praise. We're, we're repaying you with, uh, with like one cent per view, basically. On the, <laughs> yeah, exactly. On your, your yeah. medium article. So uh, uh, don't good. spend it all in one place. All right. <laughs> I don't intend to. <laughs> um, okay, cool. I think we covered projects pretty well. Um, I did want to ask favorite data tools. What, what you mentioned, uh, react.js earlier, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's one that I actually don't see a ton of data people using because we're kind of too bad at coding to use, but it's very powerful. Um, mm -hmm. you, you software engineers kind of have a better grasp on it. I feel like, but you, you, you live and die by the react.js. Uh, the react.js is like, it's better for, um, like web stuff, right? So like, yeah. yep. So my stack I usually use is like, um, what would it be? I guess like, yeah, you can SQL database, MySQL, whatever. Or like if you just need a file store like S3 or whatever you need, right? To store data. And then usually I like to build like a Python, like a Flask API, which is there to basically either do calculations or serve data. And then the front end is usually where I use like the React. Cause like, yeah. So like all React is for those that don't know is like, if you ever looked at HTML code, so if you go into your browser right now and you right click and you go inspect element, you're going to see a lot of like code it looks like. And all it really is, is like, um, it's like a structure and it tells you like, okay, um, this is the page. And in that page, there's like 20 different lines. And in each line, there's like a bold letter or something like this, right? So it's sort of just structured and that's the browser takes that code and then it sort of renders it. So it knows how to sort of take the code and make it visual, right? And what you can do is you can just write that HTML code out from scratch. But the problem is like, it's, there's a lot of lines, it's very verbose. Like it's, you can't re, it's hard to reuse stuff if you're doing it that way. So React.js is kind of like, um, think of it as like a language or tool that's built on top. And the idea is that you can write things a lot more cleanly and then it builds it when you compile it or you run your React code, what it's doing is it's spitting out just a normal standard HTML website that you would normally see. But the idea is that um, if you can reuse things, like for example, like, I don't know, if you go to like, like there's a button or whatever, right? And you want the button to look like a very specific way. Um, if you're an HTML, you just gotta like copy and paste that button a million times, right? Um, but it, it, yeah, and then you have to make sure, oh, like it floats to the left and it's this wide or whatever. But in reality, it's the same button. So you would just want like one class or function that would define what a button is. And you just want to say, repeat it. So that's kind of what React.js can help you do. So it helps you build websites like a lot easier. Also, they have like packages and stuff. So like you really don't have to write any code yourself, which is like the most important thing in programming is that you should never be writing code. You should, you should be copying and pasting code for the most part and then editing it, which is the way to go. But yeah, for like data tools though, like uh, the classic, like you got NumPy, you got data frames, like all the Python stuff. I've never used R, but I hear good things. Um, you know, and then I use MATLAB a lot and MATLAB is... Malab's like one of those things that like oh. people use in university and then they yeah. like never touch ever again, which is like basically what I did, except when I got my like job at the bank, like we used Matlab. And I realized Matlab is more more powerful than people give it credit for for the most part. Um so we do a lot of like data manipulation and like because you put stuff into like matrices and all this like mathy stuff. So we do a lot of like mathy things there, so it's useful for that. But Python could do the same thing, honestly. It's yeah. sort of yeah. I was going to ask though, because that, that MATLAB doesn't do production that well, correct? Or am I wrong? Well, for the MATLAB people listening, I'm sorry, but like, so they, MATLAB actually there's does no have MATLAB, a, there's no MATLAB people listening, Kyle. There's no, yeah, there's no, honestly, no. it's, it's like literally me. That's the only MATLAB person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. I, I did a, I did a MATLAB conference and like I showed some of the stuff I built and it was just like the three people were like, that's wonderful. I'm like, thank you, Greg, Tom and Patricia. It's great. Um, yeah, so like they do have actually like production tools. So they've been really building out like the ability to have like a production API server or whatever. But the, okay. but again, the problem is like this is okay for like if you're a company or whatever and you're willing to pay like, uh, like tens, of, tens of thousands a year or whatever to have it. Um, they don't, it's hard because like MATLAB costs money. And if you want to get like the, the packages that are good for like deployments and stuff, it costs like more money, right? So yeah. the like honestly, the biggest critique of MATLAB is like, it costs money. The upshot yeah. is their, their support's like incredible. Like you email them and immediately they'll get like, okay, our development team's on the line. Like, what do you need? Uh, okay, you want to like, we have this new update coming up. Here's an NDA. If you sign it, we'll, we'll give you all the all the information. So like they're really good that way. Um, but yeah, it's sort of, yeah, it's not, 
as easy for production. And to be honest, what we ended, I ended up doing was you can do something called compiling MATLAB. So you can compile into like an mm. exe, like an executable. Yeah. And then I wrote, I wrote my own distributed computing network, like cluster amongst all machines that will run these like exes in parallel. So instead of having to um, like host these like production machines, I just have it. So it, each machine has the executable file and I made like, it's almost like a botnet that just like executes them when I want to run stuff. Right. Which is a fun project, but yeah. Yeah. Man, can, can we contact uh, MATLAB? I think they need to sponsor this episode. I think we already sponsored it for them. Oh like, man. Already, yeah. Yeah. We already said everything yeah. that uh, they wanted to hear. So nice. Exactly. Nice yeah. MATLAB, if yeah. you're listening, you can go ahead and send me uh, a paper. <laughs> exactly. And you can say, so I tried so hard when I was in college to work for MATLAB. So hard. Tried so hard. I love mm. MATLAB in college and yeah. they never emailed me back. So <sighs> you, you got to blame Cleve Moeller, the, the creator of MATLAB. So right, damn you, I'm, Cleve. Yeah, I'm mad at, I'm mad at him. Um, okay, sweet. Um, the other thing uh, that, that was really interesting. Thanks for mentioning your, your favorite tools. Um, the other thing I just wanted to mention um, was, uh, what do you like to do uh, outside of, uh, outside of data? Oh, what is outside of data is a real question, right? Oh, data is everywhere. Is yeah, that is true. And you do a great job of <laughs> your outside passions to somehow technology programming and data. I, I was looking at your medium. You had like a VR thing that you did, right? Oh yeah. yeah sure. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. So I like VR, which is cool. Like once I, my brother went, like when he was visiting one day, he brought like an Oculus Quest like a year or two ago. And like the Oculus Quest, if people don't know, it's like, well, it's actually right here. So if Oculus, you're listening, hit me up. Um, well, it's Facebook or Meta now, but anyways. Um, so like, it was very cool. So like I bought one basically. And I was like, the, I put it on. I'm like, this is like awesome. You can like move around in full, like you can go under tables. You can lay down on the ground. It's like really, really cool. And I'm like, oh, I want to make like a puzzle game or something like this, right? So, yeah, like, ev yeah, that kind of bled bled into like I made like a like just like it's like an article on like how to like make hands in VR or whatever. But really, like VR is super fun. Like me and my brother play table tennis, which is pretty good, and you know just chat. He's in he's in Vancouver, which is like on the other side of the country, so the ping is pretty bad, but it still works out. Um, yeah, I also like like I do running, and I got into biking recently because it's winter over here, and like. The winters can be brutal so it could be like it goes like today was like plus i can go to like plus eight to negative 30 in a few days so it's hard to like get out for a run or anything and then it's also winter so like i don't like exercising in winter so you know doing some uh, of that kind of exercise stuff you're biking inside then I'm yeah yeah so I, me and okay. my buddies are like trying to like there's an app called zwift which is like you can like bike in a virtual world together yeah. So like, we're really, really embracing the metaverse at this point, you know? Nice. That's, that's, yeah. that's awesome. Um, and you've done projects on Strava stuff and running, I remember. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so yeah. And I guess the other thing that we talked about at the beginning was like the escape room. You thought that was fun. So why not oh, man. in a little box? So oh, just, man. Tell me, just tell me quickly about that because I literally, I literally up here, I'll show you guys. Show me. Oh, oh my God. Oh no. My, I must just hit end, I'm pretty sure. Blair, In, which project situation? Damn, okay. <laughs> up there, I have uh, like a bunch of like Arduino and Raspberry Pi stuff. And one mm -hmm. of my business ideas was like, can I make an escape room based off of these inside of like a oh, van? Oh my God. Like a mobile escape room. Oh my God, you're speaking my language. Now. Let me tell you about the box. Now, if my wife is listening, she's heard a lot about this. So she might want to tune off because I'm gonna get real into it. Here we go. So like, right, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, ex exactly. So like, yeah, so I, you have a Raspberry Pi and like, I was like, oh, like, this is cool. I was in, for a while, I was like really interested in like how hardware worked, like, cause like, it's not anything you really, I would never learn in school or whatever, but like yeah. hardware, hardware seems cool. Like I like solar panels. Maybe I can make the solar panels do something that didn't work, whatever. So it's fine. But like, I got the Raspberry Pi and I was looking at like components you can buy and like Raspberry Pi, if you don't know, it's like a tiny computer. It's like that big. And it's like, 30 40 bucks or something like that like to get the whole setup including like like the, everything set up is like 80 dollars, so it's like pretty cheap but then you can buy like components for it like sensors for like dollars like you can get like a heat sensor or a light sensor for like almost like next to nothing and then you just have to learn how to like put it together so in the pursuit of that i was like how could i make something really neat so i ended up fabricating this box of made of wood and i actually on that raspberry pi i made a um i made like a flask 
I think it was like, yeah, uh, some sort of Python like API and I made a web page and it was only, and I also made it so it, that when you boot on the Raspberry Pi, it makes its own Wi-Fi network. So in order to get into the box, there's like a QR code. So you have to unlock something and then it exposes a wire that you have to plug in and then it boots up the Raspberry Pi. And there's like a hint of like, go onto your own phone's Wi-Fi and look for this new network. You connect to that network. And if you go to like localhost 3030 or whatever, there's like a custom website that lives inside the box. And then there's like puzzles in there. And I put sensors in it. So like you had to like shake it to make the website update. You had to shake it three times. And then it would like do something like it would start, I would actually be transmitting a radio signal from the Raspberry Pi. So you have to physically get a radio and tune in. Then it had like Morse code. You had to type in a bunch of stuff. Oh man, it, it was really exciting. And then I think I broke it. Like I think I left it outside or something like that and it got in the rain. So prototype one died. But from what I hear from you, prototype two is on the way, right? Yeah, I got I got a lot of the components. You get you got a lot further than I did. So oh, so man. so when are we forming the, the company and, and when are, when can people purchase in your nearest Walmart? Oh uh, the box LLC uh, will be available in twenty twenty nine. I know it's a bit <laughs> far out. But the Kickstarter is beginning now, and we need thirty yeah. million dollars. Yeah, we're, we're not going to say where. Yeah, yeah. yeah. With yeah. every pre-order, you get an NFT, and that yeah, NFT. I was about to say <laughs> the same thing. You get one collectible, and, the box NFT. Exactly. Yeah, and then yeah, and then you can trade it in for you know nothing, I guess, but because no, the, the gas box, price will kill you. you, get, you yeah, you get the box now. And the box NFT now, and you have to burn yeah. the NFT. Oh, yeah. Or, or you have to buy the box. And then if you solve it, you get an NFT saying, I completed the box. Mm. But then you have to burn the box. You have to buy another box, right? So, oh, interesting. Yeah. You I, gotta keep, I like it's it. a business model. You've got to keep it, you know, the, the money turning. So it'll be good. That's, that's true. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much, Kyle slash Data Stuff Plus. Um, super fun to get to see your face because, you know, I, I think we've had, we've had quite a few live people. Um, that are probably a lot of them from your Instagram and, you know, they don't necessarily see your face. So I'm sure, I'm sure they had fun seeing your mm -hmm. face. I know I had fun seeing your face. Um, I see those, heart floating. <laughs> those, yeah, lots of hearts flowing. Um, those who are watching on YouTube like seeing your face and those who are listening to the podcast just uh, didn't get to see your face. So, But they get to listen to sweet, sweet voice. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, that's true. So, um Okay, so where can people find more uh, about you and, and your work? What are the best places? Uh, probably, yeah, data stuff plus. Like, honestly, my medium stuff is like what I'm like most proud of, I guess. I have a LinkedIn, a LinkedIn as well if you want to see my professional career things. Um, I have a TikTok. I don't really post on it much. Um, it's got like I posted one thing and it got like pretty high, but like there's. It's, it's going to be the same thing as the Instagram account, put it that way. But if you have TikTok and you like TikTok, you can look at that. And, uh, you know, you can always message me, send me an email, whatever. Have any questions, okay. it's, I'm, I'm always open, you know, to help people out. But, yeah. Sweet. That's awesome. We'll have, your, we'll have your medium and your Instagram definitely in the show notes down below. And, mm -hmm. and definitely give, give both a follow if you're not already following. So, um, yeah, man. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks for joining. And we'll have you on another show some other time. That is today's interview. Thank you so much, Kyle, for uh, joining us and telling us about data science projects and your data experience. That was really awesome. Thank you for all those who are listening and watching. Um, really appreciate it. And if you really found this podcast helpful, I would love if you left a rating and a review. It helps other aspiring data professionals to find this podcast and also supports the podcast from happening every week. Um, I'll catch you guys in future episodes. And once again, definitely check out those show notes down below to find Kyle's Medium as well as his Instagram, as well as the free data roadmap PDF and 21 Days to Data Challenge that is coming up soon. Peace, everyone. Have a good day.